Uh, are you ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we invite you to continue to work in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, in our soul, in the inner person, our, our invisible part of who we are that isn't always functioning well and needs forgiveness and direction and hope. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as I prayed earlier, would be at work amongst us. And as the truth of your scripture is heard and received, Lord, I pray that seeds would be sown that, do, uh, that produce fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every individual, Lord, that, that our hearts would be open to what you want to do in us through the ministry of your word today. God, whatever work, I, I believe that you're at work in every life. No matter how close, no matter how far people are from you, you are at work. You're always working, as we sang this morning. And God, I pray that as the scripture goes forth today, Lord, that it would accomplish a great work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have been talking about the thread of fellowship, and I want to recap a few points that we've been talking about the last few weeks, just in case that um, you have not been around or you've missed some of those messages. I want to be sure that we're all on the same page as we continue to move forward today through the Word of God. Our friend Mark Spencer was visiting with us. Uh, It's been a month ago now, and he talked about our relationships along a rope And sometimes we end up in a tug of war and what it means to compromise. And we talk about how sometimes our relationships are joined by a thread. And sometimes relationships are so easily broken, we lose friendships. And sometimes we lose relationship over silly things or they don't seem silly, but maybe they aren't the biggest issues. And so we've been uh, basing the messages around the idea of John 15, verse 12, when Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, I'm loving you a certain way. I've demonstrated my love for you in these ways, and I am now challenging you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Well, of course, we have many stories and scriptures that instruct us about how it was that Jesus loved us. How extravagant his love was. A love that was so significant that he went to the cross and laid down his life to restore the relationship between man and God. And that you and I also are to live that sacrificially to preserve our relationships with one another. To preserve unity in the body of Christ. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 14 and I just want to mention verses 19 and 20 to you this morning to remind you of what we talked about. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And we were talking about a controversy of food that they were having, but we also talked about all the things that you could fill in the blank there of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of whatever the issue is. And so we're walking through difficult times. The world has always been broken. It's always been difficult. It's always had these crazy seasons and difficult things happening. And the church ends up persecuted or the church ends up on the opposite side of an issue. And life becomes difficult and difficult to navigate. But we have the word of God there to instruct us about how we should live. The best ways to live. 
And so we see in Romans 14 that we're actually called to compromise even in some situations where someone's actually right. We saw in the story of Romans 14 that one of them was right, but he wasn't called to condemn the one who was off in his belief. And so that, that becomes a significant component for you and I. Last week, I, I made a, uh, a statement. I said, I believe that the biggest issue for the church today is that it's actually destroyed its reputation. Now, I don't want to take that back, but I want to talk about that a little bit. Because I don't often use superlatives like the biggest issue. I don't really know probably what the actual biggest issue is. But a very, how about this, a very significant issue for the church today is that it has destroyed its reputation for the sake of food. In other words, in the famous words of Jesus, he said, you strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. And sometimes we get into those situations where we're really particular about something that's maybe not as big a deal as the big picture is. We saw in this situation in Romans 14 with the meat that, yes, it was okay to eat the meat, but don't make an issue out of this for your brother. Don't cause him to stumble. That's not love. It's like, wait, but he's right. Isn't right? Isn't being right the most important thing? Not always. We want to get it right. It's a journey of getting it right. But if we begin to beat up each other and we begin to break relationship over disputable issues, even though some of those issues are not disputable to us, eating a ham sandwich is not a disputable matter to me. Like, no question, Scripture's clear, but if somebody comes to me and they're struggling, then I have to have a compassion and an excessive amount of humility to work with someone that's in a different situation than I am. And we all know there are plenty of issues out there that people disagree about. Theological, political, social, relational, whatever they are. And so we are called to do everything we can to nurture those things along. And I think it's very important that we keep in mind not to destroy the work of God for the sake of a smaller issue even if we think we're right about the issue. Okay, so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about that thread of relationship. But I wonder, is there ever a point where it's time for me to cut that thread of relationship? Does there come a point in time where it's time to break away from something, someone, a relationship, a connection, and walk away from it? Well, the Scripture gives us instruction about that as well. Because you could take that kind of teaching like we looked at last week, and you could be extreme about it. You know, there's, there's extremes in just about everything, right? You could, you could be in a situation where uh, I will do everything to maintain the relationship to, a, to, a, to an unhealthy degree. And we're going to talk about that today. Where does the scripture give us some wisdom about how to navigate our relationships and when it might be time for us to move away from a relationship. I want to begin in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus giving us instruction. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, Jesus is describing a situation where someone has sinned against you. Not necessarily offended you, 
That's pretty easy to do these days. But sinned. There really is a transgression here. You've been wronged in a situation. Or you think you've been wronged in the situation. You don't go to the neighbor and gossip about it. You, you don't post it on Facebook. You don't make a bunch of noise to make yourself heard. Go to the person who hurt you. And seek to be reconciled with them. This is Jesus' first step in this process. And if that person listens to you, listen, if, if you come up to me afterwards and you, you're like, man, JR, you, you really hurt my feelings when you told me my outfit looked terrible today. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. That was wrong of me to say. I didn't say that to anybody today, just for the record. But if you do, and I recognize that I have wronged you, I've insulted you, I've sinned against you, I've, I've transgressed I've trespassed, if you will. And I recognize that and I go, I am sorry. I recognize it. I listen and I hear you. You've gained your brother. We've reconciled the situation. We can go on in our relationship in a healthy way. But let's move on to the next step. But if he does not listen. So when the word listen here, does it mean he just plugs his ears? No, he's not really receiving what's being said. So if you come to me and say, JR, I'm, my feelings are hurt that you said my outfit looks terrible today, I just go, yeah, it does look terrible, and walk away. Not listening, not paying attention to what you're saying, not considering how you feel or how you were wronged in that situation. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. So there's protection on both sides here. So you... You go and get my wife, which would probably be a really good choice. She's a great person to have on your side in that case. And maybe somebody else. And you come to me and say, Jared, this was wrong. This was wrong for you to do. And then Jenny goes, yes, Jared, that was wrong for you to do. And I'm like, oh, okay. So what do we do? We get a couple people together. Again, it's not announced from the pulpit. It's not posted on Facebook. It's not being gossiped about. Not being slandered behind someone's back. We're going right to the source of the issue to deal with it. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Or in the case that you feel like you've been sinned against, and then you go to a couple of your friends and they're like, no, I don't think that's an issue. Then that protects you as well, as the person who thinks maybe you've been wronged. See, there's a system of community here at work that helps us in our relationships and help, helps us deal with a situation where relationship is being threatened. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat, let, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So we see a situation where someone is sinning against someone and they're repeatedly not listening. They're refusing to listen. Even when it's, it's brought before people of authority in the church. Then at that point, you go treat them as you would a tax collector or a Gentile. Tax collectors, them guys, they're just always going to have a bad rap, aren't they? Sounds like we have like 80,000 more of them here pretty soon. Those poor tax collectors. Well, what does this mean in, in the context? You know, tax collectors made their money by skimming money off the taxes. So they would charge you more than you had to really be owed, and that's how they made their money. That's who Zacchaeus was in the Bible. So tax collectors were kind of rejected people because their work was shady. And the Gentiles were the people that were not God's people. They were considered unclean. Remember last week we talked about what it meant to be unclean in the Old Testament. 
separated from God or sinful, things, God uses that unclean analogy to teach us about sin and about how he wants us to live and about what his character is like. So Jesus is talking to Jews, and this was the Old Testament way of life, and it's saying you, you would treat them this way. In other words, you're not going to have real fellowship with these people anymore. These aren't, this aren't the people you're going to run with. They're not the people you're going to trust. There is a time when relationship needs to be distanced or broken. When it gets this toxic. Let's look at another story. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Jesus talking again. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Of course. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So first of all, Jesus is making the point that there's always going to be sin. There's always going to be temptation to sin. But if you're the person that that temptation is coming through, woe to you. What's a millstone? I actually should have looked it up, but I'm guessing it's a really big rock, okay? Tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. How does that scenario end? Not good. Jesus said that'd be better than if you be the one who lets sin be introduced into relationship. Now, we could all leave here today and go, we're all guilty because we've all sinned or participated in it in some way. Thank God for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is drawing attention to how significant it is when we allow sin to flourish amongst us and in our relationships. It would be better to be drowned, basically. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Okay, we saw in that first scenario where, where the, the guy that has done the sinning refuses to listen. There's a refusal of the correction coming his way. And in this scenario, we see that Jesus is call, calling us to seek, for this person to seek repentance. If you go to them and you rebuke them and they repent, forgive them. This is a fundamental principle in the way that we relate. So if I, if I sinned against you seven times in a day, which would be quite a bit, I probably have a lot of issues if I'm doing that, right? But if I'm repentant, keyword, if he repents. Now I want to just do a quick review of the idea of the word repentance, what it means to repent. To repent, you know, I think in some cases we, have, we make the mistake of thinking that repent, go, that to say, oh, I'm sorry about that. That's repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and direction. I'm not just going to say that I'm sorry to get forgiveness. I actually have to change. There has to be a change of direction for me. And sometimes that's a process, you know. You're in your marriage situation and your wife's constantly telling you it's not okay to leave your underwear on the floor. It can take a while to get the repentance working. To change your mind and go the other direction. Come on, guys. Who is guilty? Am I really the only one that gets in trouble for laundry on a regular basis? Okay, come on. 
Authenticity is a value here at Mount Helena Community Church. Keep it real. So sometimes repentance is a process. I mean, we, got, we want to walk through things with people. But, but repentance is a powerful word. Change your mind and go the other direction. So you might never convince me that your outfit wasn't ugly, but you convinced me that my mouth and what I did about it was wrong. And I changed my mind and changed the way I communicate and go a different direction. Repentance is a powerful, action-based word. So we see this, I mean, you're getting the picture, right? You've got a, in one story, you have a guy who's just refusing to listen. In another story, it's saying, hey, if he repents, if he, if he changes direction, forgive him over and over and over. And why do we do that? We are called to love like he loves. So just like this is an, illustra- just, this is an illustration of our relationship with one another, it's also a very significant illustration of our relationship with God. God is about life change and transformation. And over and over throughout the day, we're coming to God going, I'm sorry about that. I was off on that. Help me change direction. God will do that for you. Repent. Change your mind. Go the other direction. Make an adjustment. God will meet you in that adjustment. Because this is an illustration of who God is for us. No matter, it, we're, as long as we're coming in, in a sincere repentance... God forgives over and over and over and over and over. Love as he loved. In the same way, when our brother repents, forgive him, no matter how many times. But the key word here being repentance. We start to see this idea of how important important repentance is. And what about the idea of rebuking? We have to be able to confront. We have to be able to confront. And no, we don't walk around with a baseball bat looking to whack somebody upside the head because we think they're wrong. But when we get into a situation where we need to approach a conflict, where we've had a misalignment, maybe there's sin that's gone on, maybe there's offense, you're offended about something, we have to be able to talk about that with a gentleness and a respect. And maybe we have to work out whether there was sin involved or not. I don't know. Maybe we don't know if it was really sinful or maybe it's just a funky situation we've got to work through. But the scripture makes it clear. You've got to be able to approach somebody. It's way easier for me to go complain to my friends about you or post about you on Facebook. That's easy to do. And it doesn't fix anything. We have to go to the source. We have to deal with the issues when they happen if we want a relationship to really flourish. Perhaps you've been in that situation, right? Maybe... Maybe in a marriage or a relationship with a sibling or something like that. There's been a long time of tension building, and you finally have it out, and then you're good to go. Right? Anyone ever had that happen? Hey, this was, they don't do this in grade school anymore, but when I was a kid, the boys fist fought once in a while. Right? Are we okay? Good. That was a thing. And you were best friends afterwards a lot of the time. That's how we settle our disputes. I got beat up most of the time, just so you know. But sometimes when we, 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 when we finally get to that point of dealing with an issue, oh man, the weight comes off and we can move forward in the relationship and all of a sudden things are good. We are called to deal with our relational issues. I don't want to miss that in these stories. But the ultimate question being, is there a time when we cut off relationship? I now want to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm not going to 
take time to unpack all of it, but the entire thing tells a story, really, that's, that's gone on and about a relationship between a man and the church. And the church in Corinth had a lot of issues. There was a lot of false teaching going on. They were introducing things that, that Paul did not like into what was going on. And so in, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, it goes like this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even by pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So here's a situation where, you know, we don't have any details about it, don't understand all the context necessarily, but Paul's saying this is actually being reported. This is out in the public. Everybody knows this. There's someone among you who has his father's wife. Apparently, this is his stepmother, who he is in a sexual relationship with in the church. And Paul is going to tackle this issue. He doesn't like it, understandably. There's lots of um, dealing with sexual immorality that Paul does. And then he goes on to explain, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul has drawn a line here where this sin has been accepted as acceptable and it's not being dealt with. You need to remove this guy from among you. Why? Why would we do that? We're good. We're loving. We're caring. We're compassionate. But then he he gives some more explanation. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, we do have this little glimmer of hope in this last phrase. Paul actually cares about the salvation of this man. He cares about his eternal state of his soul. But he's saying in order to deal with his, you need to turn this man over to Satan. What does that mean? I could make something up, but... (laughs) That's a challenging phrase, isn't it? What does it mean to turn someone over to Satan? I think, I think that the idea is there that you turn him back over to his worldliness. How many of you have ever been at the rock bottom? Am I the only one? We know, we're familiar. We have pictures in our minds of what rock bottom looked like when we were there. For, some, for a lot of us, it was we're, we're, we're stuck in sin or addiction, and we've just dug ourselves deep in a deep, deep, deep dark hole. We, we, we've run from God. We've ignored what's right or, or whatever it is. I think when we live in a worldly way, it's painful. It becomes painful. And I think in some ways what Paul's talking about is you've got to turn this guy over to worldly ways, to Satan. Let the harshness of life teach him a lesson. And when he gets desperate enough, maybe he'll come back to God. Maybe his soul will be saved in the end, but he needs to be turned over to something more. And so I wonder, I, I think that's probably what he meant. And sometimes I, I, there are relationships like that where someone just continues to live in sin and isn't really going to leave it. There's no repentance there. There's no actual listening. There's no desire to really change mind and go, to the, go the other direction. I've been there. I've met many, many people that are there. Like, I'm just not really ready to come back and do the right thing. I'm enjoying doing the wrong thing. 
But there's also pain and suffering that comes with that. And when we get to rock bottom, sometimes people turn back to the Lord. And there's a repentance. But Paul's saying, it's time to get this guy out. This situation is so toxic, you ought to be grieving about it. Instead, you're arrogant. So I don't know what all the details were. I don't, I don't, don't know if he was a leader in the church or if they were celebrating how much grace they had for this guy or what it was. But Paul's saying, no, no, this is too much. Time for this guy to go. But Paul's heart was that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And that should always be our spirit. There, there, we should never have this attitude of, you're going to hell. There should always be a, a humility and a tenderness and a compassion in us that hopes for the best for someone before the end of their lives. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What does this mean? Let's keep reading. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Great, I always wanted to be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. So leaven has to do with yeast. It has to do with rising bread. And there's a significant connection with the Old Testament and the Jewish faith in this regard. Leaven is often... Uh, paralleled with sin in the scripture. You know, so when you, you put the yeast in the bread and it rises, it makes a big difference in the way the bread turns out, right? Is leaven the same as yeast? Okay, thanks. I just want to be sure. But that's the idea. So, you re- so they, would have, they had a feast of unleavened bread, a bread that didn't rise. And it had to do with not having a sin. They compare leaven to sin. And so there's significant connections here with the Jews. And, and Paul is, this is where Paul's come from. And, they have the, and he talks about the feast here uh, in a second. It's, it all has to do with this purging sin, leaven, out of your life. And he's saying a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump. And the idea being that when you're allowing a little bit of sin in, first of all, this applies personally. If I just keep this door towards sin open in some area of my life, it's, it corrupts the whole of who I am. I can never quite have a clear conscience because something is sneaking through the door here and there and I'm letting it. I just kind of let the door open in this way and don't deal with an issue. But the same is true for a community. One thing we, we talk about is gossip. I hate gossip. When I got here, it was one of the first things I heard from Brian, the pastor that was here when I first got here at 20 years old. We don't gossip. That kind of backbiting, nasty chatter. So what do you do? You deal with it. Because if you just let it run, it works its way through the hole and it brings doubt and disdain and corruption and all kinds of bad things. And even to this degree, they're allowing this extremely sexually immoral situation be okay in their midst. And he's saying, you're leaving the door open for sin to be at work in your group when you do this. Get rid of it. That's a harsh thing. Aren't we supposed to be loving and gracious and forgiving? Yes, in cases of repentance and people who are learning and growing. But someone who is, again, going back to the teaching of Jesus, unrepentant not going to turn, change your mind, not going to go another direction. So, the, you know, if you, you walk in the door today, you've never been to Mount Helena Community Church, you, you got some issues. That, hey, join the club. We all got issues. It's not an issue of rejecting people that have problems. 
We want to walk with people that are struggling with sin. We want to help them through the process. Everybody's welcome to come through the door. Everybody's welcome to connect in relationship. It doesn't matter where they are in their sin and their brokenness. We want to help them along. But when someone becomes unrepentant for something so significant, it may be time to cut that relationship off. Let's continue in 1 Corinthians 5. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may need to be a new lump. Man, there's got to be a slogan there or something, right? Lumps for Jesus or something like that. That's weird. Why did he say that? As you are really unleavened. He's saying you really are forgiven. You've been forgiven of sin. Even though you still struggle with that old man, that, that dead old you, you still struggle with it. You are cleansed because of Christ. Act like it. Keep purging that sin from your life. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He's making correlations uh, to the Old Testament festival and feast. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul draws a distinction between the church and the world. This can be a little uncomfortable, too, to talk about. But there is a very clear distinction between those who follow Christ and those who don't. He's saying, I'm not talking about the world around you. You'd have to die if that were the case. There's no way you're not going to be able to associate with sinful people, people that rebel against God, because that's all over the world. Always has been, and it's going to be till the end. So in our workplaces and things like that. Plus, we're reaching people. I think sometimes this has led to the misconception and, and, and philosophies of separation from the world to the extent that we're just going to go build our own little community outside of the rest of the world and disassociate. But I don't think that's what God's called us to. So we, ha- we have to navigate this balance of I'm in the world, I'm part of it, I'm, I'm a business owner, I have a job with the state, I go down to the local shopping store, whatever it is, we're part of the world, we need to interact with it. We need to recognize sin and things like that. But this has to do with our relationships with fellow Christians. I'm not, it doesn't do me any good. I can go you know, out into somebody in the world and rebuke them for their sin, and they'll just look at you like, who the heck are you and what are you talking about? How dare you judge me? Those kinds of things. And that's not what we're called to. I think sometimes we, we, we think we're justified in pointing our finger at the world and going, you're sinful. Hello? Nothing new under the sun here. That's not, where our, that's not, that's not a realm. That's not where, that, where we work with people to overcome sin. Our hope should always be that people come to repentance. Anyway, I always thought it was funny that Paul said that. I'm not talking about people of the world. You just have to leave the world. That's not happening. And I think that's important for us to realize the principle there. But now I'm writing to you, to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Again, here's the thing. We're all guilty of this list. Probably everybody in this room has at least got one of these wrong in their life. So what, are we supposed to disassociate? No, what he's getting at is, I'm going to put on this label, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to live like one. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what the Bible says sin is. I'm really my own God. He's, he's drawing attention to the hypocrisy of this kind of thinking. You haven't really made him Lord if he's not actually Lord. 
Lord is, he's the king, he's over, he's the boss, he decides. And he's a loving father as well. So on one hand, we recognize that we're all guilty, we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. That means we have to have a lot of compassion and a lot of grace. But he's saying, don't put up with people that are just going to continue to live in sin, unrepentant. It's just not the way to go. Don't do it. Don't even eat with people like that. Don't, Don't put your investment there. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is a hard teaching. It's actually one of the hardest teachings in the Bible, I think. Because we have to wrestle with the idea of when it's time to break relationship. When it's time to shut the door and go, I'm done. But I think we all probably can think of or have experienced toxic relationships broken relationships, abusive relationships, where it just got to a point where we had to shut the door. So I want to bring some of this into some of our current reality. I just got a minute here to wrap up. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I think the Bible instructs us through these words that, that to really pay attention to whether or not there's repentance. You know, as, as a church leader, that's a thing. You know, when you're dealing with a sinful or a broken situation, one of the things you watch for is there actual repentance? Is there really a sincere desire to change mind and go a different direction once something has been flushed out? And I think the same is true in our lives. God does not want broken relationships. Sometimes people are just so broken, it's time to distance ourselves from the toxicity because a little leaven leavens the whole lump lump. Now, I want to put some fine print in here this morning. I'm not giving you permission to run out and break relationship with everybody who bugs you. This is something that needs to be done in wisdom and counsel. We are to be patient over and over and over and always looking for repentance in order to see a relationship restored. But there is also a time where we, we, need, to, we need to end that relationship. There's so much more we could talk about, specific situations. You know, we have people in our lives, Mark was teaching us, you've got people in your lives that are good influences on you. They're more mature than you. They, they're mentors. They influence you in a positive way. And then you have peers, the people around you that are kind of on the same level as you, and you encourage and strengthen one another and help each other along. And then you have people that are takers, people that you're sowing into. Now, we need to sow into people. We're called to serve and to sow into other people. But when that becomes the predominant influence in our life is the people that are really struggling, that begins to affect us. And Scripture is really clear about that. So at times we have to be able to look at those relationships and evaluate whether or not it's right to continue them. And I want to mention something else too as a part of my fine print. I'm just going to skip a couple here, Ben, so roll with me. Let's see... Proverbs twelve fifteen. A fool, a, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. When we are just all by ourselves and all independent in our decisions, without consulting with people that are wise and can help us, when it comes time to cut a relationship, you should be taking the counsel of others. You should. That's not something I don't think people should be doing independently without any advice, because it's a significant choice and decision. So I would encourage you. This is. This is why community is so important. 
why we build community. It's why, why we seek to build a healthy, functional, relational community. Church isn't just something we attend. It's something we're building together and something we're reaching the world through. And that requires good relationship and good understanding of how to navigate it. Would you stand, please? Are you okay with that? It is, it is kind of, it's hard. It's, it's hard teaching. It's, they're hard scriptures to navigate, but very important for us to wrestle through. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, God, just uh, like we prayed in the beginning. Lord, I pray that your word would be doing things in us. God, if, if, if we need to repent of something, if someone's been on our case saying, hey, you really hurt me or sinned against me, or maybe we've just sinned very privately and are hiding it, Lord, you're challenging us to repent, to find freedom, to let those chains be broken off of us those chains of sin and brokenness and broken relationships. Lord, I pray that you'd be bringing a healing and a forgiveness and a grace into people's lives. But God, I also pray for wisdom for those that are in very toxic situations or relationships. Situations that are very corrupt. Lord, I pray for a wisdom and a grace to be there as well to help us navigate Lord, whether to distance ourselves or even to completely cut relationship. Lord, we pray for wisdom in that. And God, we trust you. You are our loving Father. You want to see all come to repentance. Even if it's seven times a day. God, I pray that we would be a gracious people with this information in Jesus' name. Amen.